Good to see you guys. All right. Hey, um, so it is good to see you guys. This is, this is an exciting time of year for us. Uh, I love getting to meet thousands and thousands of new people um, as they come onto campus. I know I've gotten to meet some of you already. If you haven't met me, my name is Grant. I am the pastor of H2O Church. Um, and you might have been wondering, kind of as you've seen our stuff throughout this week, you came to the service, like, why is this church called H2O? Like, do they worship water or something? Like, no, we don't worship water. Uh, that would be pretty weird if we did. Um, but we are going to talk a little bit about actually why we call our church H2O. We're going to be getting into the passage that that comes from this morning. And um, before we dive into the text, though, I actually want you to just think about a time in your life that you've been really thirsty. Like, whenever that may have been, maybe this past summer uh, you were out in the desert or you were hiking or something and you didn't have enough water with you. I know for me, when I think about getting really thirsty, I think about uh, playing Ultimate Frisbee. So some of you guys I know have already played a lot of Frisbee with us. Um, We usually play on this field called Shakely, which is right outside this building. It's a great place to play. Uh, The only downside is there aren't really any, like, places to get water around it, okay? At least when I first moved here, the tennis court, like, drinking fountains weren't working, and all the buildings on it were locked and everything. And so I wasn't used to bringing water bottles places that I would go. So I'd go out there, I'd be playing all night, I'm dripping in sweat, it's really hot and humid, and I would have no water to drink. And I remember just what a miserable experience that was. And so now I bring like this giant like red gallon jug every time that I come. One, because I want a lot of water, but two, because I know people are always going to ask me for it and I'm able to help them out. Um, But we, we can all relate to this idea of physical thirst, right? Like there's nobody that's like, no, I don't know what it's like to be thirsty. We, we, we get that. Um, but I think that we have another kind of thirst beyond just what we experience physically. And that we also have a, a deep and real spiritual thirst that we've been created with. You think about physical thirst, what it does is it's signaling to your body that it needs water, okay? Yet your body eventually will pass away and die. It's going to happen no matter what. But it will happen faster if you don't give it the water that it needs, okay? So every time your body's getting thirsty, it's helping you to see, man, okay, you better take a drink of water so we can keep this thing running the way that it's supposed to. And I believe our spirits, we experience that same kind of thirst. And some of you guys can relate to what I'm talking about, uh, where there's this thirst of like just knowing, I'm not necessarily sure what exactly this life is about. I'm not really sure what my purpose is. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing here, but I know that there's supposed to be something more than just eating sleeping and doing school and playing video games, whatever. There's, there's got to be something more than that. And you feel that thirst within you. Now, I, I think that a lot of times we like to neglect this, okay? Because it, it doesn't always bring about the same physical pain that, that thirst, like regular not drinking enough water thirst will. But this does really cause problems long term down the road if people don't figure out how to satisfy that. And so one of the things that I want to do this morning is just dive into the Bible and see, okay, uh, if God has created us with a spiritual thirst, is there anything that can fulfill this? And if so, how do we get access to that? So if you guys would, just pray with me, and then we're going to be diving into John chapter 4. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to that. I'll also have the text on the screen. Let's pray. God, you are awesome. Lord, you're the great and mighty king, like we were just singing about. You're only king forever. Lord, you, um, you are here through all time. God, nations rise and fall. Kings come and go. But God, you remain. 
Lord, I thank you for creating us. I thank you for uh, not just creating us and leaving us by ourselves, Lord, but creating us for a relationship with you. God, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. Let your Holy Spirit be here in this room, Father. I pray that you would um, just, just speak to us in our hearts, God. If we need to be convicted, I pray we'd be convicted. If we need to be encouraged, I pray we'd be encouraged. God, whatever needs to happen this morning, I pray that you would come and do it. I pray that you would uh, use the words that I speak, Lord, and that you would speak through the scripture that we're going to read. We love you, Lord. We thank you for who you are, and we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. All right, so we're going to go to John chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 5. We uh, are picking up a story with Jesus, and uh, he's traveling around to a different area, so we're, we're going to see a little pit stop on his journey here. Verse 5, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. All right, so uh, we're just going to stop there. We'll continue on through this passage and see more uh, between Jesus and this woman, the interaction. Uh, but there's five key things I want to point out this morning about living water that we're going to learn from this interaction that Jesus has with the woman at the well. And uh, the first thing, I, I've actually organized it kind of into a cheesy acronym. I don't usually do things like that, uh, but I figure, hey, this will help you remember, hopefully, uh, just some of the stuff we talked about this morning. So I've actually organized these points into an acronym called WELLS. Um, that, that teaches different things about living water. And the first thing, that W part, is that living water is wide. The offer for living water is wide, okay? Now, uh, we see this when Jesus starts talking to the Samaritan woman. Uh, right off the bat, she's surprised, okay? And uh, we see, it says right there in the text, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Uh, so she doesn't expect a Jewish man to come up and start talking to her. And you might think, that's weird. Why would Jews not associate with Samaritans? Every time that I see Samaritan, it has the word good in front of it. Like, they seem like they'd be the coolest people to hang out with. Um, that was not the perception at this time, okay? The, the whole good Samaritan thing came from a parable that Jesus would actually tell later. But uh, Jews and Samaritans had a lot of bad blood between each other. And, and basically, what they actually were, they had a common ancestry with each other. Uh, if you've ever heard of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel, all that kind of stuff, well, there were the 12 tribes of Israel, and they eventually broke off into uh, the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes. And the two southern tribes just get called by Judah because Judah was the bigger of the two. And uh, these, these kingdoms kind of went their separate ways, and they both started falling away from God over time. Uh, they weren't following the law they had given them. However, the northern tribes, the 10 northern tribes, did an even worse job than Judah did. And so God said, okay, um, my people are continually rebelling against me. They're continuously, continuously sinning against me. I promised that if they did this, I was eventually going to bring certain curses upon them that I promised in Deuteronomy. And so eventually what God does is he brings this powerful nation called Assyria, and they conquer the northern tribes, and they send them into captivity. 
And as these people are brought into captivity in Assyria, they force them to intermarry with all of the different people in Assyria, and they start to lose a lot of their um, Hebrew ethnic identity that they had as people that could trace their lineage back uh, to Jacob. Okay, for the Jews, uh, that, that word Jew actually comes from Judas. That's actually just applying to the southern tribes. They would also go into exile later, but they maintained a lot more of their cultural identity through that. So basically what happened was a lot of Jews would end up looking down on Samaritans as being people that were less than, people that had kind of sold out, people that had been corrupted uh, by people that weren't people of God. There was a lot of racism that was going on there. And so they looked down upon these Samaritans. Also, uh, just over time, these two nations every now and then would get into battles with each other and stuff. So you understand why there's some bad blood that goes back in this feud between Jews and Samaritans. So that's the first thing that's surprising about this interaction. Uh, The second thing that's surprising about this interaction is that Jesus is a man, and he's speaking to a woman. Now, that's not weird for us in our culture. Men and women speak to each other all the time. Uh, But in this culture, that was not something that was as much to be expected, okay? The sexes were a little bit more uh, socially separated than what we're used to today. And so she's not expecting that uh, to happen either. And then the third thing that's surprising about this, if you're reading John's gospel, is the kind of interaction that Jesus had with a man right before this. So if you read John chapter 3, Jesus just got done talking to this guy named Nicodemus who is a Pharisee, okay? He's like a religious elite, um, very well-respected within Jewish society, very uh, good at following the law, at least externally. And Jesus has this conversation with him, and he really tries to help him see, like, Nicodemus, you're not good enough to enter into the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, nobody can enter into the kingdom of God unless he's born again. So he has this, this really interesting conversation with Nicodemus. And then right after that, John takes his gospel and flips it over to this interaction he has with a Samaritan woman. And this Samaritan woman is about as different from Nicodemus as you could possibly be. So Nicodemus, this righteous uh, Jewish man that followed the law all the time, now we get the script flipped to this Samaritan woman who is looked down upon uh, all throughout our town. And we'll see that too. So not only was she a Samaritan woman, but she was a pretty immoral woman. And Jesus has a conversation with her. And we're going to see as this goes on, just like he told Nicodemus, hey, you can't inherit the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Here, this woman is going to start to see like, hey, I'm, I'm not so far off that I can't be saved. Okay? And I think that some of you guys are, uh, have come into college and maybe you're not necessarily expecting God to speak to you. Okay? This, this Samaritan woman was getting to actually speak with the Lord in the flesh. And it was definitely not an interaction that she was expecting. And some of you guys maybe feel that way. Maybe you think, oh, I'm too bad of a person. Maybe you made some mistakes this weekend that you feel really bad about. Uh, Whatever it may be, and you think, oh, I'm, I'm not really sure that God wants to talk to me. Well, this interaction is showing us God does want to talk to you. God wants to call people like this, okay? And here's the thing about this as well is, remember, he talked to Nicodemus right before that. So maybe some of you have come in, and you're kind of like Nicodemus. You think you're really good, that you've got all of it together, And yeah, maybe you grew up in the church, you kind of like to adopt this culture, but realistically, you're trusting in yourself for your salvation rather than Jesus. And and if that's the case, man, like living water is being offered to you as well. The offer of living water is wide, and there is not a person on this planet that doesn't need it. Whether you are more like the Samaritan woman that is easy to judge, easy to see all the sin in her life, maybe you think you're too far gone, or, or if you're like Nicodemus, who she talked to before this, where you're really righteous, moral, and you look really good on the outside. And Jesus calls Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman the same. He calls both of them back to the Lord. And 
man, as, as Christians, we need to have this same kind of attitude today. Do we make a wide offer for living water? In our lives, do we uh, realize that we want to be interacting with people of all uh, races, all uh, socioeconomic classes, all, whatever it may be? Um, do we make our, wa- our, our offer of living water wide? Let's move on in the passage. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of the worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Okay, so things just got real in this conversation. Uh, they went from talking about a drink of water all of a sudden to now we're talking about this woman's sins. Uh, we're talking about where to worship, how to worship. And then Jesus literally makes this really bold proclamation of saying, hey, I am the Messiah. Okay? And so that word Messiah just means anointed one. It's this idea that the, the Jews were waiting on an anointed, one, anointed Savior from God that was going to come. And he was going to deliver them in some sense. And they didn't fully understand what that deliverance was going to look like. But Jesus is saying, hey, I'm, the, I'm that one, that anointed one that you've been reading about, that you've been waiting for. I'm here, okay? And, and he's making this offer of living water. He's actually making an offer of deliverance that's better than, a, than the political deliverance that a lot of them were expecting. But there's so much going on in that passage I just read. I, I wish I had time to break all of it down. I don't because I know you guys have other places to be today. Um, but uh, there, there are a few things that I want to make sure that we draw out of what we just read. And the first thing is that Jesus offers to satisfy our eternal needs, okay? Notice when he says to the woman, he offers her this special water saying that it will make her so that she never thirsts again. And uh, this gets her attention, right? Because I'll respond, she totally ignores the idea, the thing about eternal life, and she's just like, hey, how do I get that water so I don't have to like keep coming back here to this well? Um, and Jesus wasn't offering her some magic potion that was going to quench her, her ability to, uh, her thirst so that she'd never have to go get water again. Um, but what he's trying to do is draw her attention towards that spiritual thirst, towards those eternal needs that we kind of started off speaking about. 
You know, uh, this woman couldn't get her mind off of her worldly needs. And I think that we are stuck in that same state so often. Like, man, I, I find myself just living in the here and now so much, and it's shameful sometimes how much I neglect thinking about what's actually eternal and what's actually most important. You know, while you guys are here in college, you are going to get bombarded with endless opportunities, okay? It's really cool. Like, it's a great time. Um, you, you have so many things, so many opportunities to, to do different things. You're living around all of your friends, so there's never going to be shortage of stuff to do. Um, and you're going to get bogged down with schoolwork. You're going to have a lot of stuff. And in the midst of all of that, it will become very easy for you to only have your mind on your worldly needs. Just like this woman. Like, hey, Forget whatever you said about the wells of eternal life thing, whatever. It's kind of weird. Just give me that water so I don't have to come back this well. And, and I think that we can have a tendency to slip that way. And so Jesus calls us back to saying, hey, I, I realize that you guys have physical needs, and you know what? I, I take care of those. We see in Matthew 6 where he talks about, hey, seek you first the kingdom of heaven. All these things will be given unto you. God knows the needs that you have. Okay, and you do need to spend some time taking care of your physical needs. I'm not saying uh, that you should like never study for your classes or don't do your homework, okay? You need to do those things. But everything needs to be in submission to what is most important, which is the Lord. We, ha we are, are creatures that have such a tendency to only worry about what's urgent and not focus on what's important. And one of the great things that I've tried to, to do in my life and I feel like I'm still trying to do in my life is learn how to prioritize things that are important but may not necessarily always seem as urgent. And so I know that you guys have a lot of goals coming into college. I know that you have a lot of hopes. I know that you have a lot of dreams. And those, those are good. I got, I'm glad you have those kind of things. But man, may every one of them be in submission to knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. If you know your Bible in, in Philippians 3, uh, where Paul talks about like all this other stuff that used to be valued, and he says, I count all that stuff as rubbish in, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, let us be people that have that kind of attitude. Let us be people that are awakened to the spiritual thirst that we have. And as we look, we, we, we go to God and we look to have him quench that rather than just focusing on everything that's in front of us. And the thing is, Jesus is the only one that can satisfy those eternal needs. As we become awakened to them, he is the lone source of living water. That's your second L. The lone source of living water. There is nothing else that can satisfy. Uh, there are a lot of things that people go to to try and satisfy in life. And every single one of those things will fail you at some point. Um, th there's just nothing else that can always last. I always tell people, um, you can take away pretty much anything in my life, uh, th th and I can't do anything to stop you by it, right? Like you can, people can take my health. Uh, people, if they attack me or whatever, I, I, I might just wake up with cancer. You never know. Uh, I could lose all my money. I could, uh, families break up all the time. There are so many different things that we value so much and that aren't bad things, but they can be taken from us. You know the one thing that can't be taken from you? Your relationship with Jesus. Nothing can separate you from him. And, and because of that, that's the one that we should be going to to satisfy the deepest need that we have. Right? I always tell people this. Um, nobody knows the purpose of an object better than the creator. Right? When, when, when somebody creates something, they, they do it for a reason. I, like Nobody just created that keyboard there and was like, yeah, let me just throw some stuff together. Like, as they were creating that, the, whoever did had a, a plan in mind. They knew what it was supposed to do. 
And they follow that, and they know how it's supposed to be used. Now, can we use that keyboard in a lot of different ways? Sure, we can. We could eat off of it, use it as a table, uh, use it as a bench or something like that. But, but that wasn't what it's designed for, and it's never really going to flourish and, and do the best that it can until you understand what it's actually been created for. And, and man, like, we need to be people that understand what we've been created for. And as we do that, we understand, man, God has created us for a relationship with him. That's the greatest purpose to have a relationship with him and with others. And as we do that, uh, then we'll start to flourish and understand what our lives are supposed to be about. Now, there are so many other things that we go to, though. Just like people using that keyboard for a table or a bench or whatever else, we do the same kind of stuff. And and I'm just going to talk about three different wells that I see people run to sometimes, uh, very often, to try and satisfy their spiritual thirst. And and the first one is the well of relationships. Um, God has created us as relational beings, okay? I I just said that the greatest purpose in life, have a relationship with the Lord and have relationships with others, right? That's just kind of paraphrasing what Jesus said the greatest commandment is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, But I I think that sometimes we forget that first part of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we think that just the loving the neighbor or maybe one special neighbor that happens to be really cute uh, will be what, what we are satisfied by. Okay? And, and don't get me wrong. I'm a married man. I've been married for over four years now. I, yeah, my wife is awesome. Uh, you'll get to meet her if you're around here too. But uh, guess what? She can't satisfy my deepest needs. Okay? She can't satisfy me for eternity. As a matter of fact, if I put those kind of expectations on her, I'm asking for failure in my marriage. Because God never designed her to be able to do that. Okay? Uh, God has designed marriage as a beautiful thing. And that you guys get to support each other and love each other and help each other in so many ways. But if you make that person your God, you are setting yourself up for frustration. Because no person will always be able to do the right thing. No person is going to truly be able to understand you on the deepest possible level the way that God does. And so I just encourage you, man, if if you're running after that well of relationships, I'm not saying don't pursue a relationship. That's totally fine. But let it be in submission to God. Don't let that be the number one most important thing in your life. Another well... Don't know what's going on there. But um, another thing that I see people running to a lot of the time is the well of gratification. And so this is kind of the, if it feels good, do it camp. Um, We've seen a lot of that this weekend, probably, if you've been out. uh, Just drinking a lot of beer, having a lot of sex, uh, that kind of thing. And, you know, that that is enticing on some level, right? Or it's just whatever I want to do right now at this moment, I can do it. But the fact of the matter is that will leave you broken and empty. And some of you guys have already come to understand that through some of your experiences. Uh, Some of you guys hopefully won't have to learn that the hard way. Uh, Every year, our church does a spring break mission trip down to Panama City Beach uh, called Beach Reach. It's awesome. You guys should totally go. Um, And down there, Panama City Beach is an interesting place on spring break. Uh, It's kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah mixed together into one is, is what you get down there, okay? Uh, just people going down for no other reason uh, than to basically completely abuse themselves and others. Um, sexually, through a, a lot of alcohol, everything else. And uh, so what we do is we go out, we give van rides, free van rides to people. Uh, we give out free pancakes in the mornings. And uh, we just get into conversations with them about spiritual stuff. 
And I loved having conversations with these people. And uh, one of the things I would ask them a lot of time is like, man, so, you know, you came down here, all these parties, you're engaging in this to the fullest. Um, how's it working for you? Like, are you satisfied? And, and, and every time I would ask that question, they always said no. Like, literally, these are people that came down to Panama City Beach with the intention of just going crazy. And they were doing that. Um, but even in the midst of that, they're like, you know what? This doesn't actually satisfy. It doesn't actually do the trick. There's got to be something more. And you know, uh, th- this isn't the only kind of self-gratification we go through. Maybe for you, you don't like all that stuff, but you're just obsessed with getting people's compliments and praise. That's the well of gratification as well. Um, and then also I see the well of achievement. This is a life that's all about being successful. Um, Maybe it's because you want to just make a lot of money, uh, but most people that are running to this, it's because they feel like they have something to prove. Um, Maybe it's something you feel like you have to prove to your parents or to your friends or maybe even to yourself. And if this is the case, you're never going to be able to achieve enough. There's always going to be something more that's bothering you. Um, And and you're also going to be in a spot where if you ever get an A- minus in your class, you're going to freak out. That's not good. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. You want to work hard, do well in your classes, that kind of stuff. Um, But once again, don't let it be your God, okay? Do the best that you can. Honor the Lord with the way that you work. Be hard workers. Go to class. Um, But at the same time, like, man, remember that this, your life should be for God's glory entirely. So as you're going to class, as you're here in college, even be asking yourself, why am I here? How is the Lord going to be glorified in the career that I'm preparing for? And over the time that I'm here and I'm preparing for that, how am I going to glorify him in the way I live as a student? Um, so yeah, Jesus is the lone source of living water and he's the only place that you can go to get it. Remember uh, what Jesus said in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You can't just get it anywhere. You have to know the only one that can offer it. And that's what Jesus said. Hey, you have a special opportunity. You're actually speaking to me and I'm the only one that can give you what you really need. Here's the cool thing. God has made that offer to all of us, right? Like, he has opened up this opportunity for us to be able to pray to him, to be able to have a relationship with him. And he did this because he loves you. Okay, that's the second L. All of this, the whole offer of living water is available because of God's love for you. Um, Since most of you guys grew up in America, uh, you probably heard this a lot, even if you're not from a Christian background. We kind of hear this, Jesus loves me. Some of you probably grew up in Sunday school singing a song about it. Um, But I think that sometimes we lose the magnitude of what that really means. Like that the God of the universe, who, who is bigger and more powerful than any figure you can imagine, loves you. Like that the hairs on, on your head are numbered, that he knows your thoughts, that he knows where you are, that he knows your hopes, your dreams, your struggles, and that he specifically loves you. And it's not just that he likes you or, or has pity on you. I think a lot of times, sometimes we even see God as like, oh, he kind of has pity on us because we're weak and miserable uh, and, and we, we just need his help. And we do need his help. But it's not just pity. It's a love and it's an offer into a relationship with him. You see, the, the Father says, the, Jesus said himself here, that the Father is actually seeking worshipers. Okay? Now, most religions uh, teach this idea that it's all about us seeking God. It's all about us making our way to the Lord, uh, whoever that God figure 
maybe. Work your way in, eventually be a good enough person, and things will go well for you in the end. That's essentially the message of most, almost every religion. But with Christianity, it's different. And I, and I fear that we get wrapped up in that a lot of time. And, and so many people that, that say they're Christians or even grew up in the church don't really know what the gospel actually is. Which, which man, and let me just lay that out for you. That the, the gospel is simply, is, is a good news. It's a good news that God has invited us back into a relationship with him. And here's how he did it. He created everything. It was perfect and good. And we rebelled against him. We sinned. We messed up. Adam and Eve did that first, and we've continued in their footsteps. There's not a person in here today that could say, yeah, I'm free completely from sin. I've never sinned in my life. I'm not guilty of anything. And so all of us stand condemned, honestly, before God. God says the wages of sin is death. And honestly, that's a good thing. God's going to do away with sin one day, and that's a good thing. the, The utopia that we all hope for, that's coming eventually. But sin has to go away first. And so with that, what would that mean? That would mean that we would have to endure the just wrath of God. But because God loves us, he doesn't want that to happen. So what does he do? He's a just God that promises he's going to punish sin. But at the same time, he loves us and wants us to have a relationship with him. So Jesus Christ comes and walks on this earth. He's God in the flesh. He lives a perfect life, the sinless life that none of us have been able to live. And he hangs on a cross. And he hangs on a cross not just because there were people that hated him or the, the Romans decided that he was a threat that, that was maybe going to start a riot. No, he hung on the cross because it was God's plan from the beginning. That this is what he was going to do to redeem mankind. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, we see this idea of sacrifices. Animals being slaughtered. Why? For the sins of the people. Okay? That, what, is that, what is that sacrifice showing? It is, a, it is symbolism of saying, you deserve this. You deserve uh, this pain and this punishment that's coming upon you, but this animal is taking it for you. It is in your place. It's what we call substitutionary atonement. There's a substitution that's making atonement for us. And Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice. When he hung on the cross, the wrath of God was being poured out upon him. And he was saying, all that sin that you've committed, everything that you've done wrong, I don't want you to have to to pay the punishment for that. So I'm going to make a way out for you. I'm going to rescue you. And, And the wrath of God is poured out upon the Son. And that as Jesus is crucified, we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin anymore because Jesus paid it for us. And he rose from the dead. And you know why that's important? Because that shows that he conquered sin. And it shows what's going to happen to us too. If we put our faith in Jesus, not only was our sin paid for by him, but the resurrection is our receipt. It shows, yeah, this went through, this cleared. And that, man, when when we die, yeah, our physical bodies are going to die, but we're going to be resurrected as well, and we're going to live for eternity with the Lord. And you know why all of that happened? Because of God. It's not about us making our way back to him. And and no part of that equation was it, yeah, God decided to send Jesus once humanity did a good enough job to, to make him decide it was worth it. No. Romans 5 actually tells us that, that God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, that while we, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't earn this. Christianity is not about you earning your way back to God. It, it, it is, we are prisoners that have been broken out of our cell by a Savior. Every other religion, you found some way to tunnel out of your prison cell or whatever it is. You found your way up the mountain. That's not what Christianity is. All glory goes to God. God is the one that broke us out. God is the one. We didn't find our way up the mountain. He came down and saved us. And man, that is why Christianity is a religion of grace. We believe that we are people who are saved by grace. And some of you, even if you've grown up in the church, this is the first time that you're really hearing that. 
That, man, you are not saved by your works. You are saved by a good God that loves you and paid the penalty of sin for you and has invited you into a relationship with himself where you can dwell with him sin-free. That is the offer of the gospel. Man, if there's nothing else that you guys take away from this message today, I hope it's that. And if you, if you come around age 12 in the future, you're going to keep hearing that message. So that's the center of Christianity, the gospel. We need to be people that live in the gospel, that remember we have a God that loves us and that paid the price of sin for us and has brought us back to himself. You know, when the, the invitation to come and live by a certain moral code, it has its ups. You know, if it's a good moral code, I can see why, why people would want to do that, but it's not the most inspiring thing. But when you understand what I was just telling you, when you come to truly understand that, that you were separated from the God who loves you and created you, but that he did what was necessary to bring you back, that is a life-changing message. And that is something that shifts your priorities. And that's the S for Wells. That's our last letter. When you experience living water, it changes your life. It shifts the way that you live. Let's, let's read. Uh, we have to skip ahead a little bit to verse 39, but I'm just going to read verses 39 through 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This woman's life was changed, right? Uh, he said, you've had five husbands, and the guy that you're living with now isn't your husband, actually. This woman was probably a social outcast. The fact that she was at the well in the middle of the day, nobody goes to get water in the middle of the day. Uh, so it means that she was probably there because she didn't want to deal with all the gossip and whatever else that was going on when she would come around at the well. And she goes from being this woman that was probably looked down upon almost as the town tramp, and she goes back and she starts sharing about Jesus with her town because of this interaction that she's had with this man. She's like, hey, I met the Messiah. You, you guys need to come see this. And man, if, you, if you've met the Messiah, if you've met Christ, if you've tasted living water, then may we have the same response that this woman had. Let our priorities be shifted. Man, let us be people that go back and tell. And then you know what? As we go and tell, here's what's cool what happened in the town. They say, not only do we believe because of your testimony, but we've seen and heard for ourselves, right? So, so one of the cool things that we get to do as Christians is we get to go back and tell the town, so to speak. But, but what do we do? We get to introduce them to Jesus. And so not only do they get to hear of our testimony, we want to get them to the spot where, man, I, I want you to experience the Lord for yourself. I want you to open his Bible. I want you to see what he really has to say. I, I want you to know who God really is. And I'm going to pray that God will reveal himself to you. Man, and, and what, what happened? Many became believers. Man, God, God has invited us into an awesome journey with him. And uh, there is so much more to life than just the physical thirst that we feel, right? Physical thirst is important. We have to satisfy some of those things. But, man, God created us with this deep spiritual thirst for a reason. And so over your time here in college, over all the things that you do, I, I hope that there's a lot of things you're able to accomplish. But more than anything, I hope that you become attuned to this spiritual thirst that God has given you and that you would understand that Jesus is the only one that can satisfy it, that you would run to him 
and that that living water would start to spring up within you. So here in a second, we're going to enter back into time of worship. And uh, over time of worship here, I, I just encourage you uh, to, you know, sing your heart out to the Lord and just to think about some of the things that we've said here. There's going to be a prayer team in the back. There's some little lamps up there. There'll be people with prayer lanyards. And uh, if you, if you want to be prayed for, then we encourage you to just go up and, and say, hey, can you pray for me about whatever? Um, and just to remind you some of the things we talked about this morning, maybe uh, you need to remember that the offer of living water is wide. And you need the Lord to help you see that. Like that Samaritan woman, maybe you're surprised that Jesus would have any sort of interest in you. Just pray like, Lord, help me to see that you love me and that you care about even me. You know, maybe uh, you, you need to be reminded that, that you just need to reflect on your eternal needs. And so maybe you, you need to pray, God, uh, just open up my heart and my eyes uh, to be aware of my eternal needs and help me to prioritize those. Maybe uh, you need to realize that Christ is the lone source of living water. And it's like, man, I've, I've kind of been trying to have Jesus plus. I've been trying to fill uh, my needs with so many different places. But, Lord, I, I want to learn to really look to you for my eternal satisfaction. Maybe you need to just simply remember that God loves you. Honestly, just really that God loves you. Not just that he tolerates you or anything like that, but that he loves you. The whole thing of the gospel, it's not, it's not just a get-out-of-hell thing. Yeah, we do get saved from the wrath of God, but we, we get invited into a relationship with him. And the Bible paints a beautiful picture of what that life looks like. Or finally, maybe uh, you're a Christian and, and you just realize, I need to shift my priorities. Like, I pray that God will radically change my life. That he will shift my priorities in life and that he will make me a new person. Uh, that, that just reflects him and, and, and is, it gives all glory to him. Um, so yeah, just as we enter in this time of worship, think about those things. I'm going to pray and the band can come back up. Dear Lord, we love you, and uh, we just thank you so much for who you are. Uh, we thank you that you offer us living water. God, I just pray that all of us would uh, ask you for that, God, that, that we would know the one who, who we're speaking to and that we would ask him. God, I thank you uh, that you've given us access to you, that you've saved us from our sin, and that you've re reunited us with you, Lord. Uh, as we celebrate you here this morning, I just pray that you would be joyful, Lord, that you would rejoice over this. And God, we pray for our campus, Lord. We pray that just like this town, as the woman came back and told her testimony and many came to know you, God, we pray that for our campus. Lord, we pray that we'd be people that go and tell the town and, and that many would come to know you, Lord, that they would experience you. We love you, God. Uh, we, we give this time to you. We thank you for who you are. And we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen.